Hey, my name is Chad, and I'm the, one of the pastors here. It's an honor to welcome you again, and it's just fun to have family gathered in one room, isn't it? Isn't it fun? It's like, uh, it's like just really cool that you all come and, and desire to align your heart, orient your heart to Jesus week in and week out. And to hear his word and to worship with your family. Isn't it wonderful to worship through song and hands raised and hearts open and just ministering to the Holy Spirit as he comes and softens and tills up our hearts and makes us available to receive from him. Well, I just want to pray before I dive into the scripture this morning. If you would just uh, pr- uh, pray with me. Lord, I thank you so much for another week to gather in your name. I thank you that it's your heart to encounter every person in this room with your goodness. It is your desire, God, to show up in real and tangible ways to every single person in this room this morning. So we ask that you'd energize your word, that your Holy Spirit would take words as off of pages and write them on our heart and on our minds. And we seek, Lord, to what we're about to hear and experience, that it would shape our very life in in every capacity. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray, amen. Amen. Our passage this morning is, um, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of purity, impurity or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving for of this you can be sure no immoral impure or greedy person such a man as an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God let no one deceive you with empty words for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient therefore do not be partners with them for you were once darkness but now you are light in the Lord And find out what pleases the Lord. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. But rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said. Wake up, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're continuing through our, our, our series in Ephesians with a goal to finish by the end of July because there's things coming in August and onward that we got to get prepared for. Um, Really, the, the whole passage I just shared that um, out of Ephesians 5, it really hangs on the first two verses. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love. It's not super complicated. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and say amen. (laughs) It's not super like, do I have to figure out a big secret handshake or like a certain, do I have to memorize a certain amount of things or like what does it mean to follow God? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to, to shine like a city on a hill? What does it mean to be salty and to preserve life and to give flavor to culture? What does it mean? What does it look like? Imitate God. Because he's your father. (laughs) And you imitate him out of the place of being a deeply loved son or daughter. And then your whole life 
you're going to mimic. That's the Greek word is where we get our word mimic is the word imitate. You just keep looking to Father. And what does the Father look like? Jesus said in John 10.30, many, many other places. I'll just say that one. The Father looks like me. So how do I know what the Father's like? God, the Father. I look at Jesus. He's the perfect revelation of God. He is exactly what God is like. In every capacity, every characteristic, everything, Jesus is what God is like. And I look to him. That word be is where we get the word ganomai, which is to be begotten or to be born again. Did you know that the whole Christian life is not about you pulling up your brute straps and gritting your teeth. It's about experiencing the grace of Jesus that literally transforms you from the inside out, enabling you to live as a new creation. The word be is, is where we get, it's to be begotten. So we only can imitate God if we've first been begotten again, born again through the Holy Spirit, whereby now our whole life is learned to, to be, we're learning to live in light of who God has made us to be and called and shaped us to become. You've been born of God so that now you can begin to increasingly resemble your father. What is the father like? He's like Jesus, who gave himself up for us, verse 2, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Did you know that your whole Christian journey, not just you individually, because this is all written in the plural, to, to the church of Ephesus, to the church at Cornerstone Church, your, your identity is to mimic your Father in love and to continually look and experience and receive that love that then continues to transform your life and that love that continues to spill out of your life to those around you. The rest is just a manipulation of love. Don't let any impurity or lust or greed. Did you know all of these three categories are misfired or misplaced or counterfeit loves? Did you know that? Did you know that lust or pornography terminates love and our obsession and our craving to, to experience intimacy and closeness and proximity to other image bearers? It term, it's non-love. It's statistics and science. I've been researching it is, from every field, not just Christian sources, describe the detriment of people who pursue love in a counterfeit way. Not even a hint, he says, for God's people of impurity or of lust or, or greed, which is a lust for more. Did you know that in Christ you have everything you need? Everything you need. Really, all that Paul is saying here in Ephesians 5 When you came to Christ, first by Christ coming to you, amen? That's a key, key theological point there. Christ came to you and me and us. You were taught, it says in verse 20 verse of chapter 4, you were taught in 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Everyone say former way of life. Why do you think it's called former? This is a really thick, difficult theological question. <laughs> you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Everyone say old self. Come on, who wants your old self to stay your old self and get out of here? And to put on the new self. Everyone say new self. Well, what's the new self supposed to be like? Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Did you know you were created to be just like Jesus? This is, theology, this is just basic. This is, every single person who's encountered God's love and traded their sins, their past, their bondage, their heartache, their sorrows, you have received the very life of Jesus Christ in your heart. You see, in our, in our ability, in our desire over the last 20, 30, 40 years, and especially in the West, we've, we've preached the gospel and it's just, you know, bow your head, prayer, prayer, blah, 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 blah. But we've missed, I don't think we've really fully understood that when we open our heart to the grace of Jesus, he pours the very life of Jesus into us. And so when Paul gets to chapter 5, he's saying, out of that grace you've received, that transformation, when you put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and you put on the new self that looks like Jesus, created to be just like him, 
He's saying out of that place of receiving grace, now your whole life, I want you just to imitate the Father. I just want you to mimic. I, I have an amazing video. I, I, you can just go on my Instagram. But um, my son, Benjamin, right now, he's almost two, and he's just our pride and joy. The others are too, but he's, come on, it's okay. He's the youngest, so. But my, my son, uh, there's an Instagram that I, that, I mean, I'm the one who filmed it. But I, every time I still watch it, it just moves me. And it's where I do something and he mimics me. Come on, anyone have kids or grandkids that do that? They, how many know that's how we learn? That's how we learn to talk. There was a research, I just watched, an art, I just watched a video quoting an article back in the, was it the 1350s? I will get the exact date for you. But there was, a, there was, this, this, there was research that was, that was done of this king who wanted to know if what language little infants would speak if they were never talked to and never held. I think it was 78 of them. All 78 actually died within a, a year or so. Did you know why? Because you, were, you and I are made to be nurtured and held and loved by the Father. You and I are made for Christian community and family. This is why central to you and I living vibrantly for Jesus is first experiencing by the spirit of revelation how deeply and completely loved you and I are as his sons and daughters. Loved and cherished and nurtured. All of us. Uh, the phrase for the sermon today, and I'm way, I have a lot of notes, but I'm just kind of, it's all on, in me. But um, the sermon title about is from Ephesians 5 is to become who you are. Turn to your neighbor and say, what does that mean? <laughs> That's really what this Bible verse is actually talking about. Who you are in Jesus, the rest of your life is now catching up to the reality of what he actually did in you when you came to repentance and faith in him. Though how many know become who you are is really where all of us are at right now. We're becoming who we are in Jesus. Come on. Become who you are. Even if all we had of all 66 books of the whole new Bible, even if all we had was Ephesians, which is a pretty darn good one if I may say so myself, from this one book alone, six chapters, it takes about 14 minutes to read or quote, whatever, from this one book alone, we would know that we are chosen, made holy, adopted, loved, anointed, sealed, saved, raised, made citizens of God's family, members of God's household, that the, that the peace of God has been appropriated to our life, that the distance that we could never cross, this is all just through chapter 2, has already been overcome through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the divisions that once divided humanity have now been overcome through the blood of His cross. This is just chapter 2. This is 1 through 2. Even if all we had, did you know that your whole Christian life is you and I becoming who we already are in Jesus? And did you know that the point of Christian community is not just to come and, hey, fist bump. It's to look at each other in the eye and say, are you becoming who you are in Jesus? The point of why we gather is not to hear a, a, a preacher or a worship band or whatever. It's to gather together as family and to look at each other in the eye and say, hey, did you live as if you really belong to Jesus this week? If not, let's hit our knees, let's receive His grace, and let's get after it again this week. Become who you are. You and I are made literally, I mean, I cannot describe it strong enough. You and I are literally created. We are made to be living representations of what God is like on the earth. This is why Paul's number one metaphor, there's a billion metaphors for the church. I'm not going to go into all of those, but one of his favorite is you and I are the body. What is a body's purpose? Not a trick question. The body's purpose is to hold up the head. <laughs> you know, forget it. <laughs> Awkward. And did you know that Jesus Christ is the head? Did you know that that immediately takes any necessity of comparisons or competition? There's already one who's the glorious head. That means all of us which is what all of last week's sermon, it's on our website, was about, that within this unified body, there is a beauty of diversity of gifts, sons and daughters, reaching their full potential, imitating God their Father. What is God the Father like? Like God the Son, Jesus Christ, who poured out His life to bring us back into this thing called life. I would argue, 
We never imitate God more than when we forgive others. Can I just make a theological point here? A, 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 a teaching. Uh, back in verse 32, it says this. It says, um, be kind and com- compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ. Everyone say in Christ. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Say God forgave you. So here's how it works. Every time God forgives, which how many know, you know, if I'm going to mimic the Father, what do you think the number one thing God's busy doing all the time all over the planet? Come on, if you have kids, you should know that answer, or grandkids, or teenagers, or something. God is perpetually forgiving. Can we say amen in the house? Come on, if he treated us as our sins deserve, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20, nobody would have a chance to breathe for a second. But with you, there is forgiveness, the psalmist says in Psalm 130, verse 4. Therefore, we revere you as God and Lord. I would argue in this command to mimic God or imitate the Father, we never imitate God more that within the context of community, instead of retaliating, getting even, or holding grudges and and, and growing bitter, when we choose to forgive, we are never more manifesting what God is like in community and to the world. Come on, does anyone read the news? I mean, this is the most countercultural, revolutionary thing you and I can participate in. This little old thing called forgiveness. Jesus is the full blast expression of God. He is the the literal logic, the, the way, the intricacies of his brilliance and his wisdom all wrapped up in human form as Jesus Christ. And as Jesus Christ is coming into his glory in John chapter 12, when he's lifted up on not a throne, but on a cross, at the most clearest, most dynamic, glorious expression of what God is like would be the moment when Jesus is hanging there bare, Psalm 22. If this is the full crescendo of the glorious Son hanging in our place, surrounded by two criminals, what is Jesus doing from that place? Remember, we're to imitate God. This is my argument. We're never more like God than when we... What is Jesus doing as He's there full blast displaying the glory? Father, forgive them. You and I, listen, yes, it's signs and wonders. Yes, it's holiness. It's all about this passage. But I am arguing that if we're going to take Christian community serious, which why does that matter? Oh, I don't know, because it's through the church he's revealing his glory to the world. Community, people, it's all in the plural. It's not you, me, my private. It's us. It's we. It's what Christ is doing amongst us. What is Jesus doing on the point of the greatest revelation? Literally, the Son of God laid bare, Psalm 52.10. He's laying bare His holy arm. In the sight of all the nations, they're seeing the salvation of God. From that place, Jesus Christ says, between two condemned criminals, Father, forgive them. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Did you know that forgiveness is costly? If you've forgiven, you know that that's true. Someone always has to pay for the exchange. For the washing of the stain of sin to be removed, for the removal or cancellation of the debt incurred. And did you know, beloved, that that debt has been paid? We don't have to hold sins against each other anymore. The debt has been paid. And when we choose to walk in unforgiveness or resentment, remember, we're called to imitate God, never more like God than when we forgive. We are saying that the blood of Jesus is not good enough for their sin. Only mine. Beloved, when we hold on to our hurts and our sins and our trespasses against us, instead of releasing them and the ones that hurt us, we forfeit the healing stream of the grace of Jesus Christ that wants to wash over us like a river. Did you know that to find the courage to forgive, to mimic God the Father, to mimic Jesus Christ, which is our whole Christian life experience. You and I don't look at the person or the problem. How many know if you do that, you'll get discouraged or more angry? Come on, can I get a witness? Am I the only one that's having a hard time forgiving people who've hurt me? Yeah. 
Thank you. But when you look at the person or the problem or rehearse it, how many know usually get more agitated than get closer to forgiveness? Can I get a witness? You and I do not look to the person or the perpetrator or the problem to get inspired to forgive. Eh. Everyone say, eh. You and I do not look within for our own grit or moral fortitude. Man, because how many know if you looked within, you would never get around to feeling like you would actually want to forgive the person you want to rip their head off. Okay, I'm just speaking the truth this morning. The only way we can find the strength and the resolve and the resources is by looking at the bloody love of Jesus Christ. And as we gaze long enough at him in this place of pouring out his life unto death, when we look and gaze and we become aware not only of our own need for forgiveness, are we empowered then to forgive others? It's the only possible way. This is why the scripture works as in Christ God forgave you. Every time there is a transaction of forgiveness between God and sinful humanity, it goes through Jesus Christ. You have to see that. It is always costly. Is he dying every time? No. He died once and for all, Hebrews 9.26, at the end of the age, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. But it's always, this is again, you know, 30, 40, 50 years after Jesus. Sorry, 30 years after Jesus, Paul is writing, You're imitating the Father, and the Father is still forgiving all of us in and through Jesus Christ. So we don't get get around to, I hope I feel like forgiving, I hope I feel like imitating God today, and I'm never more like God than when I choose to forgive the hurts, wounds, sins, struggles of those against me or those I've committed. I look to Jesus to find the strength and the source in order that enables me to walk in forgiveness. And if we're looking to Jesus, we will be rescued We will be rescued from the darkness. Imitate God. That's the passage. Become what you are in Christ already. It's true of you. Now live like it. How many know if we live like the truth of what God the Father has spoken over us through His Son Jesus, it would be radically different. The space between what is true of us in theory and confession and what is becoming true of us in our function or our reality. Forgiveness is no small thing to Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is to be the predominant culture for those who participate in his kingdom. Aren't you glad? This is why Jesus Christ, when he was asked by his disciples, you know, if a brother or sister sins against me, Jesus was asked by Peter, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive somebody who sins against me in the church? Once perfect. As many as seven times, Peter asked, Jesus said, no. Not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times, seven times. Someone do the quick shorthand math. 490, thank you. When we're secure in the love and mercy of our Father, we are filled with the capacity to release others into the arms of the God of mercy and grace that we've experienced. And those who are in Jesus Christ through repentance and faith, who've trusted him for their very life, for everything. When you're in Christ, the love that God is calling us to imitate never originates with us. It always flows from him. Do you know why that's important? If it originated with us, we would, we would, we would, we would probably believe that, if, you know, depending on our emotion or what happened to us, or we're having a grumpy or a bad day, we would probably go, oh, I don't have the resources, I can't forgive you. But thank God, it's, the source is found in God who has an infinite supply of grace and mercy and love. I love this. In Him we have redemption, verse 7 of chapter 1. Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches, someone say riches. We did a sermon on Pluto. Plutos is the word. Rich, He's so rich. Of God's grace. And then verse 8, that he lavished on us. Say lavished on us. This is out of the place of which we're to imitate the Father and stand in the forgiveness of Jesus and pursue a lifestyle of forgiveness. Become who you are. It takes time to to learn to live out of the new self. Can I get a witness? Come on, somebody. It takes time. I've been on this journey since for a long time, for 18 years, and I'm still a knucklehead. And I'm not self-deprecating uh, or false humble. I, inc- all the time, 
especially on my prayer runs, me and Jesus have conversations. You would think I'd be further along by now, but how many know I'm not finished yet? Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not done yet. I still got breath in my lungs. To live in light of our new identity, not just personally, but communally. It goes on, yikes. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual morality. Okay, so get over it. It's in the Bible. I'm not saying it. Of any kind of impurity of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. My goodness. Sexual immorality, impurity, and lust for more, or greed, they all flow from the lie or the myth of scarcity. Does everyone know what scarcity means? The fear of lack. Everyone shake your head at me. You know what scarcity means now? The fear of lack. Like, is there going to be enough? Did you know that humans have been really good at believing the, the first lie that the devil told humans? And it was a lie that really was framed through this lens of God is holding out on you. Did you know that? Did God really say you can't? Guys, he gave him the whole planet to go make something of, to walk around naked and have a ton of babies. This is the Bible. Just You can giggle with me. To be little image bearers, kings and queens over the whole world. And the enemy's lie is that God really say you can't. He, how many know the enemy, he can't invent anything. He just knows how to spin things. The lie from the very beginning of the enemy was this, this belief that in God, there, this myth of scarcity, that if you really trust him, if you really pursue holiness, if you really pursue the lifestyle of imitating God's love and forgiveness, that you'll need to somehow along the line begin to supplement the lack that you'll experience by following God with your whole heart. Did you know that that's a lie from the pit of hell? Did you know that? That all of these things, lust, impurity, listen, I knew, I know about immorality and impurity. As a teenager, God delivered me, but it was this lack, it was this counterfeit lie that if I trusted God with my sexuality, if I trusted Him with my desire, if I trusted Him with my appetites and affections, then somehow my, li my life would be less than the rest of my friends who didn't. It's the lie of the myth of scarcity. I'm not going to bore you or make you depressed and sad by the statistics of those who are right now functioning in impurity and immorality. It is striking, but it is a symptom of a heart that is bored with God. It's a symptom of a life that has not experienced the deep pleasure and satisfaction of knowing Jesus Christ. I know because that was me. We believe the lie that if I trust God and His love, that somehow they won't be enough, and so we have to supplement that which we perceive as a lack if we trusted God with everything, and we have to fill it with the desires of the flesh. Is that good? That's just good. Pre I, think that's good. I think that's true. I think it's true. I know it's so controversial, but it was as controversial to these ex-pagans who used to just, on their way home, go sleep with prostitutes and then treat their wives like garbage, and they could sleep with any woman, Roman culture, with any woman they wanted in this patriarchal culture. But did you know that the gospel actually has something to say about every part of our life? And as Ed, listen, it was as countercultural and like, whoa, Paul, are we really having the purity talk? He's like, you're darn right we are. Listen, this whole baloney, bogus, just bow your head, pray a prayer. We've, we've set people up to not understand that he actually wants your whole life. Yes, it starts with the reality of our need for mercy. I'm not belittling where it starts. But listen, Jesus Christ literally wants to infuse every dynamic of your life with his life. He literally wants to come into your thought life. He wants to come into your place of desire and appetite and affection. And he's not okay with you being divided or diluted. He wants to set your heart in the fiery reality of his love. And it's because we perceive a lack in our relationship with God that we choose sexual immorality, purity, or we, all, we function in greed, the lust for more. More, bigger, better, better stuff. Lust, more, more, more. And I love C.S. Lewis. He's the smart, genius guy. It would seem, listen, it would seem that our Lord, I love this quote, he finds our desires are not too strong, but they're too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. 
like an ignorant little child who wants to go on making mud plies in a slum because they cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. Do you see the word picture? Little kid in the slum making mud pies when someone's inviting them to go experience a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, said C.S. Lewis. Beloved, I can only share what God's done in my life. I can't. I didn't overcome lust or impurity by just trying harder not to have lust or impurity. I pursued the one who pursued me with everything he had. And we've done so much harm in this pitting grace against works garbage. We've hurt people. Guys, God actually loves. He, He saves us so that we can pursue him with everything. We don't earn anything. But listen, I didn't just, you know, God, here's all my lust. Here's all these things. These, I didn't just have a hint. I had a whole heap. Come on, somebody. Okay, anyway, I'm just talking about me, 16-year-old me. But listen, when I gave Jesus everything, he gave me all of him. And then he said, son, I will have as much every time you turn your heart to me, every time you wake up early before school, I will have more waiting for you as you seek my face above everything else than you'll even know what to do with over a lifetime. And so many of us are living so, we're so bored, we're living under the myth of scarcity that if I trusted him, nah, I got to supplement it with greed, lust, with the next car, the thing. Love it's because we need a greater revelation that the life Jesus is offering us is better than what we could ever produce alone or on our own. Jesus does not need a supplement. He doesn't need a COQ10 like I had to buy my dad for his heart the other day or a vitamin C or a D17 or B11. Jesus Christ is sufficient to grip and to grab and to hold your heart forever. And I'm telling you that in these last days, I could give you a bunch of scriptures like 2 Timothy 3 and Matthew 24. Those are enough. These last days we are seeing, you know, the church shrinking or crumbling, whatever, but really the only ones that are going to overcome in the end of the age are those who are in love with Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. It's not going to be those who have the biggest theology or the most paper on their doors. It's those who know a person. Those who are in relationship with Jesus Christ. Those who aren't allowing the lust of the flesh and the desires and the narrative of culture that just be what you want, do what you want, feel like you want. But those who hear the voice, the whisper that says deny yourself, but on the other side of denial is a world of pleasure and life and peace and joy and hope and fullness and flourishing. But you've got to trust me at the door. You've got to trust me. I love the psalmist. I'm preaching. I'm sorry. I'm, not, I'm so happy. I'm not mad. I'm just passionate. Listen, I love this picture, this word picture the psalmist gives us of the inner life. You, God, are my God, Psalm 63. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Has anybody been there? Has anyone been there in a parched place? Desperate. Has anyone been there where you've got the the end of your desire and your heart was still found wanting? Whether it was after the click or after the purchase, or after the bigger or the shiner, that when the shine wore off, there was still an ache in your soul. Am I talking to anyone here today besides me? This is the picture the psalmist gives us. I'm in a parched land, and there is no water. How many have been there? How many know most people live in a parched state? Even within the church. I prayed a prayer. Someday I'm going to get the heck out of here and go somewhere else. But in the meantime, my heart is bogged down with worries and carousing and lust. And I'm not experiencing the vibrancy that Jesus Christ experienced with the Father and with his friends. Many of us live out of this dry and parched place, if we're honest. And it's not your inheritance or your destiny in Jesus Christ. Verse 2, I have seen you. Come on, somebody say, I've seen you. Where? In the sanctuary, a place of consecration, a place that is set apart to inhabit, to meet with God, the sanctuary. And I have beheld your power and your glory. 
Because your love is better than life. Come on, somebody. My lips will glorify you. Guys, as we are praying and just interceding this morning, my prayer is that we would all experience a love that is better than life. In a, listen, we're in a parched land. There's no water in and of ourselves. In fact, the indictment of the prophet Jeremiah to the nation of Israel and Judah is that you've, not, you've done two things. You forsook the source of living water, chapter 2, verse 13, and you're also building these containers to, that are meant to hold what you're looking to, the other gods and idols and really prostitution and lust and sexual morality. And, you know, he's saying, but if you forsook the source, there's no point of trying to build something to hold something that's not going to satisfy you anyway. How many of us have been there? No source. And we're busy building something that even if we got what we wanted, it wouldn't be enough to satisfy the craving of our soul. And then the psalmist says, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. Come on, anyone else a foodie like me? I mean, I'm hungry right now. You are not meant to live a dull and bored Christian life. I have a lot of people in my life who are better at a lot of things than me. My dad's got better, he, he prays for more people than I pray for. Rob has more, he's a doctor, a PhD. Corey prays longer and louder and harder. Patty doesn't ever quit being passionate for Jesus. Andrew has a heart for the lost like no one I've seen. Emily's more relentless to pursue a generation to see them saved and set in family than anyone I've ever met. I got a lot of people, but you know what I do carry and I bring to the table is I will never budge that every believer is intended to live out of a fiery reality of God's love. Every single person. It has, no, it, has, it has nothing to do with your personality, nothing to do with your age, your sex, or your race. God literally wants you to be burning on the inside for His presence and for His love. He is not okay with you being indifferent. He wants you to come alive in love. And this is why Paul says, within the family of God, there's not room for a hint of any counterfeit love. Not impurity, sexual morality, or greed. And if you struggle with any of those things, please bring someone in on your struggle. You are not condemned in your sin. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you and to heal you and rescue you. If it's something you struggle with, man, talk to me. Talk to somebody. You don't have to struggle alone. Come on, somebody. If you don't know where the fruit is or where the water is, someone in here knows how to take you to drink from a well that will actually satisfy your soul. You don't have to be alone in your sin. And these words were as countercultural then, 2,000 years ago, as they are now. Not even a hint. Back off, dude. How many know if you give him a hint, you'll end up losing a heap? Come on, how many know it's the nature of sin and compromise? It takes you further than you wanted to go and it keeps you longer than you wanted to stay. This is why Paul says right at the beginning, not even a hint. Don't even open the door. Come on, how many today want to say, I, I'm, I need to close some doors to some things. Can you shake your head at me? I'm gonna, you know what? I'm going to close some doors. If this is really true, that there is a life that is offered me in Jesus that the psalm, I could be fully satisfied. I might want to seek that out. I might want to run down that path with all my heart. There's only two kinds of people in the end, C.S. Lewis says. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. C.S. Lewis. Jesus, why do you care about that part of my life? Because he desires, Psalm 51, 5, he desires truth in your inmost being. God wants the truth of his love, the truth of his word, the truth of his wisdom, he wants truth to so encompass and envelop and fill who you are in the core when no one's looking around. Why? Because the truth sets you 
Three, Jesus Christ died and rose and ascended and the Father and Him poured out the Spirit, not so we could live bound to this and a little bit of that, but so that you and I, from the very depths of who we are, could experience life as it was meant to be lived. The life that looks like Jesus. Why does He care about that part of my life? Because He wants you to be fully receptive to the full weight of His glorious love. And if you're busy fooling around like a little kid in a slum and a mud pie, when he's offering you holiday, he's offering you the kingdom, he's saying, dude, drop the bucket, get on the plane, and let's go on a journey exploring the full riches of who I am and what I've done. This is what he's calling us into. I love this, and I'm going to close. I'm not going to get to any of that, so forget it. I'm reading a tremendous book right now called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I'm reading a couple books. I'm in another class right now, but this book has really got my attention. It's written from a lady who was uh, a, a PhD on the East Coast and was one of the main forerunners of the LGBTQ community, a radical proponent. I mean, she was an, a culturally elite like big time leader in the world. Her name's Rosaria Butterfield, if you want to go look her up so you can see it's all true. She's the one writing her own book. <laughs> anyway, she comes to faith in Jesus Christ because <laughs> there was this couple <laughs> that every Sunday night had an open table and anyone could come to dinner. They were unapologetically pro-Jesus. They loved Jesus but they love people where they were. Come on, how many are thankful for the gospel? We love people where they are. And Rosaria tells the story in this book, The Gospel Comes with the House Key. Week after week, she's like, these people are freaks. They're weird. The songs they sing are weird. The book that I, the reason, oh, I forgot this little small detail. The only reason why she went is she was getting ready to write a manifesto disproving the stupidity of the Bible. This is her own testimony in her book, The Gospel Comes with the House Key. So she's going with a mocking spirit <laughs> to get evidence of how stupid Christians are and the, cl the claims of Christ. So she came in the perfect posture, like you came this morning, no doubt. How many know he knows how to surprise us and shock us? Woo! Jehovah Sneaky, thank you, yeah. But week after week, they just never stopped loving her. They would call her every week and just like come and have a meal. Before long, her partner who she was with, living with, started overhearing her re rehearse her vocal cords before she went to Sunday dinner. And her lover, partner, was like, what are you doing? Nothing. La, 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 She's rehearsing to go sing the Psalms at this open house table. Fellowship. It's hilarious. So anyway, she, they just wore her down. Did you know that if we imitate God and His love and mediate His forgiveness and His grace, and that when they see us, they don't see us hiding our sin. They see us running into the light of God, pursuing a life of integrity and purity. We don't talk like the world does, because Paul tells us not even, don't foolish course, blah, blah. We talk life-giving words, empowered and inspired by the Holy Spirit. And she kept coming to this meal and to this house, and before long, it's like everything she could peg against them melted her heart. And here's what she writes, not me. This is a direct quote from the book. Christian conversion always comes in exchange for the life you once loved. For her, it was really costly. She was a PhD, and I mean a culturally elite in this community. Conversion to Christ is the exchange. This is where many of us, this is why, just pray a prayer. We don't explain enough that, no, 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 you're exchanging the life, not just that you're ashamed of, but the life you love, so that you can experience life as he created it to be, which is a life you will love. It's better than life, he says, the psalmist. But it's that door of trust and the life he's calling you to live is the life that Jesus Christ lived. It's the life of Jesus in you. Is it grumpy or boring? No, he was an irresistible magnet to sinners. They wanted what he was serving at every table he found himself in. 
She says, Christian conversion always comes in exchange for the life you once loved. Quote, we are not extending grace to people when we encourage them to sin against God. Grace always leads to Christ's atoning blood. Grace leads to repentance and obedience. Grace fulfills the law of God in both our heart and in our conduct. This is her. When we try and be more merciful than God by lowering the bar, we end up putting a millstone around the neck of the person we wish to help. Oh my goodness, this is why you, you know, a modern person reading Ephesians 5, they're like, dude, that's, who are they? Not a hint. Be imitators of God. Don't have any filthy talk. Pursue light, not darkness. Here's why. Here's why. When we try to be more merciful than God and say, ah, I think God overlooks it. Remember verse 6 of chapter 5. Don't listen to the meaningless talk that says, oh, it doesn't matter how you live. Live like you want. This is her, the most radical lifestyle. She's saying, if you try to be more merciful than God, you do more harm than you do good. I love this. Last quote. We cannot obey until we face the facts. We can't imitate God. Back to the first verse. The gospel comes in exchange for the life we once loved. But when we die to ourselves, we find the liberty or the freedom to obey and to live the new life God has made for us. Isn't that cool? I mean, it's like, if, if it was from just somebody, you know, I'd be like, okay, exchange for the life you once lived. But this lady, she's writing with such authority because she entered a community that didn't water truth down. They preached the gospel, but they loved with truth, and it melted her heart because what she saw in those who lived for Jesus was something she couldn't find in any other circle. Come on, how many know the world is longing and waiting to see a people who walk in the most irresistible, holy love. Come on, who wants to be that kind of person today? No compromise. God, when they see me, they see you. That's enough. That's enough. Practically speaking, I didn't get to go into any of I can unpack it later. Who is in your life that you can confess sin to? Let's just go there. Who's in your life? If you don't know, please get, have courage. Respond to the grace of God. Come to me. Who is in our life who's holding us up? No, yes, amen. In the body. If you're alone, if you're suffering from loneliness, come talk to me or a ministry team. Who are you, who, who's in your life? Who is in your life asking you questions about walking in purity and integrity? Not someone who beats the heck out of you with the Bible that says you blew it again. They're saying, no, become who you are. You got this. This is who you are in Jesus. He's made you holy. Now live like it. Who will look at you in your eyes and ask you, are you satisfied in Jesus Christ today? Or are you trying to supplement? <laughs> Come on, somebody. We need people like that in our life. Who are you in the trenches with in your daily life where you're seeking to imitate God and his love? Become who you are. G.K. Chesterton, he's way too smart. I don't read him. I don't understand him. But I understand this quote. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. He's a genius. The Christian ideal, listen, it's not like those who run after fulfilling the Sermon on the Mount, living the lifestyle of Jesus is like, oh, that was a bummer, didn't satisfy my heart. The Christian ideal has not so much been tried, and at the end of trying it, it's like, it didn't meet my needs. I wasn't satisfied. That relationship with the one who created the world, not good enough. The forgiveness, the freedom from my sins and from my snares, and he washed it. Don't even remember it. Ah. The community that is to accept me and love me to life and to be a soundboard that calls out and commissions my identity and my potential and my capacity. Ah. Christianity has been found difficult 
but by and large, it's been left untried. And I'm so glad that when I was 16, someone didn't just say, just pray a prayer and cruise the way you want. I had a dad who gave me a yellow notepad with a whole list of scripture. He said, dude, you gotta start hiding your, you gotta start hiding this thing in your heart. I had a dad who'd be like, Chad, come with me to prayer. And I don't know if you have a dad or a sibling or a friend or somebody, but I know that apart from someone at that beginning of my journey that says you can have as much of God as you actually want. My life at 34, soon to be four kids, would look radically different. And I just want to give you permission in this place. You can have as much of God as you want. So many talk about wanting to live a balanced life. I don't want to be balanced. I want to be lopsided in my pursuit of him because he left nothing in the tank when he pursued me to save and to heal and to restore me to his image. Become who you are. How? Jesus. <laughs> Become who you are. How? Put it on your calendar. God, meeting with you is the most important meeting of every day. <laughs> Come on. But Jesus, no one, I'm, I don't have any community. When's the last time you texted or called or were that annoying friend that said, until we start getting together and pursuing this lifestyle together, I'm not quitting. When's the last time we, re re we, we exhausted all of our resources to pursue the community that God wants us to experience? Probably none of us. Some of us have tried. I'm not denying that. Beloved, Jesus Christ has made a way for us to experience life as God designed it. May you and I be like little Benji. Wawa. He imitates me. And when my son imitates me, even though he can't pronounce the words yet, every time he imitates me, it moves my heart. And even though you and I fumble over our feet and we are... Every time we take a step responding to the love that draws us and calls us, the Father says, that's my son, that's my daughter. I'm so proud of him. God has a huge Instagram account. <laughs> he sees everything, so he sees all your stuff, so thank you, Jesus. But every time he sees us throughout the day, turning and responding to the Spirit instead of the flesh, every time he sees us forgiving instead of fighting. Every time, every time it's like he's there to capture it and he says, that's my, that's my son, my daughter. I'm so proud of them because they're trying, they're walking, they're seeking to imitate me. To experience gospel life, you've got to trade the life you once loved. I'm sorry, I can't water it down because when you water it down, it loses its power. <laughs> I don't know if that's you today. But if you want to maybe start a renewed journey or a journey for the first time, I have no idea. But you say, Chatty, I want to start that journey. I want to trade the life I once loved for the life that Jesus Christ literally died and rose to give me. If that's you, could you just stand where you're at? Is there anybody here today? Your knees are knocking. Praise God. Anybody else? I want to trade the life I once loved. Anybody else? I want to experience life as he intended it. Praise God, sis. I'm so proud of you. Anybody here that, like our sister, you would like to stand for God to renew that place of passion and hunger in your heart? If that's you, would you stand this morning? Maybe it's not for the first time. Maybe it's for the 50th time. God doesn't care. He just wants you to keep standing, keep pursuing, keep receiving, keep longing. Just keep going after what he's made available for you and me and Jesus, the power of his spirit.
just say it, just say, Jesus, in your own heart, Jesus, I trade the life I once loved for the life you died to give me. Which means I bring my sins and my struggles, my past, my regrets, but I also bring my present and my future. And I want to experience life as Jesus Christ intended. I want to imitate God, my Father. I want to live that life of love, which means that life of fullness and abundance and flourishing. I want to trade my impurity, my counterfeit loves. I want to lay them down at the altar today. And I want to experience love as it really is. It's true love, the love of Jesus Christ. He poured out his life so he could pour his love into us, transform us. I want to just say, Lord, I'm done. I'm going to give you my sins and my struggles. I, I'm, I don't want to hint. I want to live fully for you. Just begin to tell the Lord, Lord, I just want to live fully for you. I want to begin this journey of living a new life categorized by your love and your grace. I trade. Just say, Jesus, I'm trading up today. <laughs> That's the thing. It's not, it is repentance and there is sometimes tears, but guys, he's offering us his life in exchange for ours. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. And just say, I receive forgiveness. I receive cleansing this morning. I receive new life this morning. I receive the life of Jesus Christ this morning. I'm just going to read this and we're done. This devotional changed my life as a teenager. Hopefully it changes yours, even if you're not a teenager. <laughs> See, it's really a holy book. It's got a gold cross on it. You're welcome. <laughs> I got it. I got it. This is the secret. This is, if you want to know, Chatty, I've not lived perfect. I've made so many bad choices. But I have lived by His grace with a heart that has wanted what He's wanted. As imperfect as I am, but the, He changed my life. And this one devotional changed my life. The, the principles of this changed my life. And I know it can change yours. Only by a stronger passion can evil passions be expelled. Whoa, I read this as a young man. It changed, marked my life. A soul unoccupied by a positive devotion is sure to be occupied by spiritual demons. There's a parable Jesus Christ tells of a house that swept clean. And when it swept clean, the demons and the darkness leaves, but the house never got filled. So what was cast out brought seven more ugly manifestations of itself. And the, house of the, the, the condition of the house at the end was worse than it was at the beginning. That's what he's, this is the devote, he's drawing from that story Jesus Christ told. Here it is. The safety of the master in the presence of temptation Lay, not, lay in his complete and positive devotion to his mission. There was no unoccupied room in his soul where evil could find a home. <laughs> he knew what Dr. Chalmers called the expulsive power of a new affection. And I love this. He, he goes back to the story of the Odyssey. Last paragraph. When Ulysses passed the Isle of Sirens, Greek mythology, he had himself tied to the mast of a ship and he had his ears stopped up with wax that he might not hear the sirens, these lust creatures who sang and tried to draw sailors off the sea, off the mission. So he put wax in his ears and he tied himself to his mast. You get the picture? I don't want to go. Come on, how many know that is not Christian life as Jesus Christ made available? But how many of us live there? I'm just I'm trying, oh jeez. Okay, look, what happens? A picture of many people's pitiful attempts after negative goodness. That's an amazing line. I'm just going to get at goodness by not doing a bunch of stuff. Yeah, that's negative goodness. You need a new affection. I'm done. Here we go. But when Orpheus passed the Isle of Sirens, another journeyer, he sat on the deck of his ship, indifferent, for he was a musician too. He could make melodies that were more beautiful than the sirens. Their alluring songs were to him discords. Did you hear that? This changed my life as a teenager. He was a musician. He had a greater affection. He could sit on the deck, not careless, but consumed with the song that he heard. 
the music he could play because of what he discovered in Jesus Christ. Such is the master's life of positive goodness. So full, so glad, so triumphant that it conquered sin by surpassing it. Not just not trying. Listen, there is a dynamic of not trying. Can I get an amen? I'm done. This is the close. Crescendo. There are no's in the Christian life. Say no. They are, there are no's. We say no to the flesh. Come on. Everyone say amen. But if that is the predominant influence of your life, you will be critical, bummed out, and bogged down. There is a bigger yes Jesus Christ died to invite us into. We don't conquer sin by just negotiating. We conquer sin by His grace, surpassing it by pursuing the life Jesus Christ gave for us to live. I'm happy. That little excerpt changed my life. It's underlined. I can't even hardly read it. So Lord, may you give us a a glorious affection for Jesus Christ. We trade the life we once loved for the life you died to give us. God, I pray you would seriously connect us to each other. God, we've got to get over our fear. I don't, they're only Sunday friends. Lord, I pray you begin to connect communities and friendships and people who would take that risk, myself included, to go here and to go there with our fellow brothers and sisters. Why? So that we can experience and live into the life Jesus Christ died to give us. In Jesus' name.